Hi, I'm Erin Hartz. Welcome to Grace Plus Boundaries, a weekly memoir in a podcast. I've realized through the past decade of my recovery that I learn the most about emotional maturity through listening to the triumphant stories of others. Are you yearning to unpack the effects of intergenerational trauma in your life? Do you want to stay true to your feelings, yet also learn how to accommodate the sensibilities of your loved ones? I'm dedicated to cracking the code of combining boundary setting with grace towards one another. Educate, evaluate, and evolve. Let's do this together. Hey, Boundary Setters, welcome back to another episode of Grace Plus Boundaries. Today we are navigating intergenerational trauma and we're talking about childhood abusers and what happens when we run into them. So I took this little topic out of my own life because a couple weeks ago I was at a picnic at a park outside close to my home and guess who walks up to me? the girl who used to abuse me sexually when I was a child. So I'll tell you a little bit more about that story. And then I have the question of what do we do when that happens? I will tell you the rest of the story and my thoughts about it, but I truly don't have an answer to that question. So if you have an answer to that question, let me know, because I'm still working it out. So on this podcast, back when it was called Self-Care for Survivors of Trauma, and you can look back in the earlier episodes, I have talked a few times about the fact that I was sexually abused by a girl my age when I was a kid. And it wasn't just one time, it was Uh, many, many times um, over the years. And the reason why I know that it is sexual abuse and domination, rather than just two friends messing around like kids sometimes do playing doctor or whatnot, is because the power dynamic between the two of us was messed up. So besides the fact that this stuff would go on when we had sleepovers, In the daytime, yeah, we'd kind of get along. Like it would look like we'd get along a lot. But if you had a parent that was really emotionally in tune, I'm sure they could have seen the way that my friend, I'm going to call that friend lightly because she wasn't that nice to me a lot of the time. She would, you know, take things from me. She'd always have to be, have the better thing. She would make fun of me for being smart. She would laugh at me for saying things that she thought were dumb. Like, so there were a lot of little instances where she wasn't very nice to me. And back then when I was a kid, I so I met this girl when I was maybe three, we were in like a play group together that our moms, you know, met and met other moms. And it was a great thing, right? A bunch of kids play group, we would kind of spend time at different people's houses so that our moms had a break because they were stay at home moms. I think most of them were anyway. So, you know, we'd go, each parent would, mom would take care of the different kids and that's where we met. And so probably for a couple of years, it was really awesome and we were friendly. And then, you know, something must have happened to this friend of mine and, you know, some, I think she had a babysitter. They, this is what her parents said, or the story goes that a babysitter had abused her and her brother. But I really think that there could have been someone else in her life sexually abusing her because this girl turned into a major predator and she wasn't just sexually abusing me, she sexually abused other people that I knew of 
um, in our vicinity. So multiple people that I found out about um, later on when I was when we were kind of getting into our teen years, I found out about it. So this girl abused me. And I think for a lot of reasons, I didn't say anything to anybody. One reason that I can see now that it's taken me years to kind of figure out is that the dynamic of someone taking advantage of me, not just sexually, but like being verbally abusive and domineering and bossy and things like that. That was a dynamic I saw every day because my sister, that's how she treated me. So I think part of that I was just used to and I just thought of like, that's the way people treat you. You know, there was no other way around it. I was lower on the totem pole and other people were higher and I just kind of had to deal with it. And I think I did just accept that fact as a kid, even though I think it made me sad. Um, And the other thing is that I think my mom and this person's parents or mom, they were not that great at watching us. Um, And I, you know, it's funny because both of them, my mom and her mom are both like wonderful, caring people in a lot of ways. But I think they really just didn't check on us very much. And so a lot of stuff could go could happen behind closed doors. Or maybe this just is the way it was back in the 80s. You know, maybe that was kind of more normal. Um, But I know that like at another friend's house, like her mom would definitely be in and out way more often than that would happen. Like my mom and this girl's mom that abused me, they were on the phone a lot. You know, they were distracted a lot. They were busy, of course. um, But they weren't they were not paying attention enough. They really weren't. And um, so I kind of blame it on on that a little bit too. You know, like, of course, we don't want this to happen to anyone. And obviously something was happening to this girl to where she was doing it to other people. It was a major thing. It really impacted my life in a lot of ways. And it's been years that I've been trying to unpack like what exactly that is. And the biggest connection I can say that happened because of me being sexually abused when I was a kid is that I had a ton of shame. So I wasn't able to be myself. Like I hid a lot of who I was because I didn't think that I could share with the world who I was. So I I became very, very codependent. And so codependent in the way I'm talking about is like really low self-esteem, allowing other people's feelings to trump mine in every single way, not really having a voice a lot of the time and letting things just happen, you know, and me being a bystander in my own life. That is the the line that and then when I become an adult, that's a big problem because then that's the type of person that is attracted attracts narcissists because we're able to be easily manipulated and we're used to being bossed around and that kind of thing. So that's the biggest thing I can see a big as a consequence of having this happen to me. I'm sure there are many others that I'm still unpacking. And I also think that it's very possible going back to the idea of intergenerational trauma that something like this probably happened to this girl's parents and possibly my parents, you know, and my grandparents and nobody had been able to discuss it or get knowledge around it. Like my family was just more like shameful about sex and stuff. So I knew that I couldn't talk about it um, from a very young age. You know, it seemed like something that was not going to go right if I told anyone. 
So here are the rest of the story. So I'm at the picnic and I was there alone. My son wasn't with me, which although there, a lot of kids were there, he happened to be over at a friend's house. So I'm actually really glad he wasn't there now because I didn't want, I wouldn't want him to have to be introduced to this person. So this person sees me across the way and comes up and I hadn't seen her in at least 16 years. And she comes up, Aaron, hi, like we're best friends, right? You know, it makes sense in a way because throughout high school and even into our 20s, we weren't good friends after our teen years, but we kind of stayed in contact when she had her first baby and our moms were kind of still friends for a while. So like the last time I had seen her, she had had a second child and I think he was a baby then and now he's, you know, a teenager. And we decided, oh, yeah, that was the last time we saw each other. But she acted like everything was so cool between us. Nothing happened, you know, and that's how we always had acted. We had always just pretended in the daylight that everything was normal. Yet when the lights were down, when we were spending the night together, that's when, you know, other stuff would happen. That was not uh, something to talk about in the day. So, you know, she acts like normal and I see myself talking to her and I'm kind of like realizing I'm acting all friendly and I can't stop myself. Like that's kind of the fawn behavior, right? Like something scary is happening. Okay, I'm just going to fawn my way out of this, which means people please and act like, oh, it's so nice to see you. You know, I don't think I said like literally that sentence, but I wasn't gonna just confront someone I guess in the middle of this picnic with a bunch of other people around either so it wasn't like it was the right place for it but I had definitely talked to a few therapists throughout the years about this and one of my therapists had said like you need to report her because this woman actually works with children and I'm like well what am I going to report you know I don't really how would I even do that like this is something she did when she was a child so is she even you know, is there anything even to do with this? It's not like this was a grown man or woman abusing me. This was another child my age. So is there even anything to do? I don't even know what that process would be. And I don't feel like I ever really got an answer from that therapist. I think she was like, you should call her up and ask her if she's done any work on herself. You know, like, has she done any healing work? Blah, blah, blah. So for a while, I was like, yeah, I guess I could try to call her and ask her about that. But it just didn't really seem, it seemed like, what's the point? And I also, I didn't want to get her family involved in it. She and her mom are really close. And I just felt like they might not be safe people to even broach the subject with. Okay, so I see her at the picnic. And the most disgusting part about the whole thing is that she smelled exactly the same as I remember her smelling when she was like 12. And it's like, really? Someone who's 43 years old, like literally smells the same as when they are 12? Like it made me want to barf. And I've talked to quite a few people now about people who have been sexually abused by others. And That's one common thing I've heard from people if they run into their abusers later in life. It's like their smell just like makes you want to gag because that you were so close to that person, you know, in a way that was so wrong and felt so icky. And I think the smell really brings you back to that. 
And so I experienced a little bit of that. We didn't talk for very long. It was a couple minutes. And I said goodbye. After that, I was kind of thinking to myself, okay, so now should I try to look her up or call her? I'm sure I could easily find her phone number or get it from someone. Um, She runs into my mom a lot. I'm sure I could figure it out. But, you know, I really kind of played the tape forward like, okay, let's say I call her. Okay, so what am I going to say? Oh, are you in therapy? Blah, blah. Like, is she even going to want to talk to me about that? And the feeling I got from her when she was there in front of me was this person has not changed one bit. This person has not moved forward emotionally one bit. This person has just completely become her mother and her actions and everything were exactly the same as her mom. And she's just become like this new version of her own mom. Part of that is like this crazy people pleasing attitude that she has, which I kind of adopted in the moment to get through that situation. But I think, you know, doesn't that show intergenerational trauma right there? Like whatever her mom went through, you know, I'm just philosophizing or guessing. I mean, I don't know this, but let's just say there is a person and she was sexually abused. It's like these things repeat themselves. So what has happened to the generation before them? Did something very similar happen to her mom? And then what about her mom? You know, if we go back in history, of course, women were brutalized and hurt in different ways. And there wasn't help back then. And now luckily there is, and we're starting to talk about these things more openly, or at least I try to. But now it's like, what do we do next? You know, and you can see the way it's passed down. And this person has not broken the cycle. She, this is my conjecture, but she is exactly the same. And she's not changing at all. She's just going to perpetuate this onto her children and then they're going to maybe deal with it, or they're perpetuating it onto their children. Um, You know, I'm just kind of using her as an example. I'm not actually judging her. I'm just, this is the way the situation is. I'm just guessing. I really don't know her life at all. But I know that I don't want to live my life that way. So here's my question is like, then what do you do? What do you do when you run into someone who sexually abused you when you were a kid? I mean, what is there to do? So I guess the things for me, it's like I'm still on my journey. I don't know the next situation uh, of what I should do. So probably my next step is when I have my therapy appointment in a couple weeks, I'll probably talk to my therapist about it, um, see if she has any insight anymore. Maybe we'll do some EMDR if I can think of a situation that might bring me back there so I can feel some of those feelings. Maybe that smell is something that I can use to do some EMDR to kind of uh, jiggle out those feelings from my body that made me feel so ill when I started thinking about them again. I just know that I want to keep investigating, but I only can really follow my own intuition. And my intuition right now is telling me that calling her up and going that way trying to process things through her is a dead end, or it could even be a dangerous place to go. Because if this person really is someone who's who's continuing this behavior, then she could possibly be dangerous if she thinks I'm a threat to talking about the past. I have to be kind of careful and make sure that I'm 
really sure about what to do. And that's why, you know, it's so frustrating because it's like this stuff just keeps happening and cycling in our in our world. It has to stop, right? It has to stop. But how do we stop it? The only way we can stop it is if we start looking at ourselves and try to start healing this stuff. But every person has to decide to do that on their own. And it takes so much time and energy. But I know that I'm at least at a decent place with it. Even though this happened a couple of weeks ago, I really barely have thought about it. I did share it with a couple of friends here and there that I knew would understand. Um, and I did one time share it at a meeting where there were, I think, about six other women who we all identify as codependent. And all so we that meeting, they, someone else had brought up childhood sexual abuse. I hadn't actually brought it up, but when we were sharing, every single person in that meeting who identifies as codependent had been either sexually abused, sexually assaulted, or something of that nature, raped, etc. Isn't that interesting? I mean, to me it is, it's really sad, but it's also interesting. It's like, that's what happens when we keep allowing these things to continue in families and we don't say anything about it. And you know, I'm I'm that bad too. I have told my family, I've, you know, but I have not done anything necessarily to stop it except for the fact that I've done my own work, so hopefully I won't continue this pattern for my son. Like hopefully this won't happen to my son or something like it. Hopefully now that I've cleared my energy most of the way, my son will not have to live out this battle for me. But I'm still working on it, right? And also I'm I'm a much more aware mom than someone who hasn't had this happen. I really watch when my son has sleepovers. I really, I don't let him just sleep over anywhere. I really make sure I know the parents well and the situation and the other kids really well and watch the dynamics between him and his friends to make sure that one isn't dominating and the other one's the victim, right? Like if when he was younger, he did have more relationships where he was either victimized or he was kind of the domineering one. And I think as I've gotten healthier and he's learned how to deal with his emotions more, I see his relationships with friends as a lot healthier than they used to be when he was little, which maybe that sounds funny, like a you know, a kindergartner having a healthy relationship. But back then there were these strange dynamics as I was still going through a lot of pain and learning to grieve what I went through and learning new skills of how to communicate and learning how to address my own emotions. It's like it was playing out in him. And thank goodness for the therapist I had and the studying I did that it changed things for him. Like he would have gone on that same path and same course probably as I did. And it would have just con kept continuing. So if you have a story like this, then, you know, you're welcome to share it with me and um, let me know what you think. What do we do when we had this happen? Do we go and file a report? Do we contact people? You know, it's so hard to know what to do. Well, thank you for listening and I hope you have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. You deserve a big high five and a smile in the mirror for showing up for yourself today. Thank you for your dedication to introspection and self-awareness because our personal evolution is what will make this world a better place. 
If you enjoyed the episode, please give me a five-star review and share it with a friend. And let me know if you want to be a guest to share how you are navigating intergenerational trauma in your life. You're welcome to join my free monthly goal-setting workshop on the first Wednesday of every month. Just DM me at iHeartsAaron.com.